following program contains language and subject matter that is adult in nature. Discretion is advised. Okay, there we go. What are you waiting for? Do it! Triple M. Spank the monkey. Spank the monkey tonight. You excited, Dave? I'm as excited as I always am when I'm about to spank the monkey, Phil. Of course. We've got five monkeys here, all types of, and you've got to get three out of these five in order to win the prize. Okay. Your choices are baboon, chimpanzee, gorilla, monkey, or orangutan. No macaque? Maybe later. Depends on what I have for dinner. (laughs) Here comes your first monkey. Oh, a chimpanzee. No, that was, in fact, a monkey. So far, oh, nothing. Getting spanked. Well, your spanking skills aren't up to scratch. Chimpanzee. That was a chimp. Well done. Yes. <laughs> Can it be one of the ones that's already been played? or once No, they're, it's they're a new one. What are my three choices again? I'll tell you what's left. Baboon, gorilla, or orangutan? I'm going to go baboon. Yes! Get the next one right, and you'll win the prize. (laughs) Oh, I'm going to go orangutan. That was the orangutan. You've won the prize. Congratulations. We didn't even need the gorilla, but let's spank it anyway. Congratulations on your monkey spanking skills. Uh, my parents never said I'd amount to anything, and look who's laughing now. There you go. Pull the other one, Dad. So it's still the 4th of July in America, and every 4th of July in New York City, they have Nathan's Famous Hot Dog Eating Championships, and I got the champion on the phone. Don't you tell me you're full, just eat it. How are you, Crazy Legs Conti? I am 100%. Good to talk to you, Phil. It's great to be talking to a food stuntman. Yeah, and you could say I've been a 15-year major league eater or competitive eater. Or the Houdini of Cuisini, or the David Blaine of the Bowel, or the Evil Knievel of the Alimentary Canal. I don't even know where on the body that is. (laughs) Those all work. Let's talk about some of the stuff that you've eaten. For example, the popcorn sarophagus. Yes, I ate my way out of an eight-foot box of popcorn. It was one of those stunts that uh, you really don't know how it's going to go. I had a snorkel on just to get a little breathing as they filled up the tank with popcorn. And then the snorkel came off and I had to eat my way to the plexiglass. I was finding kernels and crevices in places you don't want to hear about. So the 4th of July is your focus because this is where you're best known for your hot dog eating championship skills. What's your personal best now? Well, it's interesting. I have done 26 Nathan's Famous Hot Dogs and Buns in 10 minutes, and that's the contest time. But Major League Eating does 60 events a year. I specialize in some of the technique foods. Corn on the cob, I'm the four-time champion, eating 42 ears of corn in 12 minutes. Even a week after I eat all those Nathan's hot dogs, we have a kale eating contest in Buffalo. Eight minutes, all the healthy choice kale I can eat. Well, you know, I thought kale was a fish until I found out it was a salad. (laughs) Trying to take you on will be Yasser, the Iron Stomach Salem. Gideon, the truth OG, Jeff, 
the digester esper. <laughs> What's Michelle's one? It, it, Michelle is Lescamo Lesco because her stomach has 13 different ways to digest, similar wow. to an Eskimo language. We do almost anything they can put on the plates. We have yet to have a great Australian man or woman hit the major league eating circuit. Now, this year, the closest we can get geographically, uh, Nella Zisser, who is from New Zealand, who will yes. be representing. I've had her before I, on the show. She was quite good. I yeah. was amazed. She's a model yeah. as well. A Maxim model turned eater. The women's contest is going to be very ferocious in terms of these are beautiful, petite women who can eat a lot. And even one of our MCs, Sam Barkley, grew up in Sydney. So he's got his eye and his stomach towards the next great Australian eater. But that's what we're missing on the circular. Yeah, I'm not a competitive eater, but I think I've got the name for it. Ugly Phil, my guts. <laughs> I'm trying to think of, you know, my records in pancakes and bacon are five and a half pounds in 10 minutes. I've eaten 22 cannolis, which are an Italian pastry, in six minutes. But don't even think about the numbers. What it is is like traditional sports. You have to get into the zone. You have to focus, ignore the groupies, the firework, and just focus on your plate and your plate alone. I mean, there's nothing worse than connoisseur groupies, right? Those are for the after party. Well, you're a man who can lick his own eyebrows after all. <laughs> hey, man, great to talk to you again. Thank you. Eat all you can. And good luck tomorrow or today as it is in America. So that's Crazy Legs Conti, my competitive eating name. Well, I've got a couple, Sammy X. One, obviously, ugly filled my guts. What have you got? Mine is Sammy Extra Large Fries. Gee, that's good too. I like that. Because I've got the X. Okay. Uh, ugly Phil Opium Tubes. Um, no. No, okay. No. One triple three five three. Do you have a competitive eating name? What is it? How are you, Andy? Yeah, pretty good. And you? What's your competitive eating name? Andy the Mozzarella. Do you like cheese? Oh, mate, can't get enough of it. Ted, how are you? Yeah, not too bad. Ugly. All right. What's your competitive eating name? Quickly ingested. Ted, quickly ingested. Don't take this the wrong way, but you do sound a bit like a serial killer. I'm taking that the wrong way, Phil. (laughs) How are you, Dave? Good, mate. How are you? What have you got for me? Dave, tough guts towers. You do have tough guts. Well, I can eat pretty much anything. I've seen some of your exes. (laughs) Let's just let that go to the keeper. Pass. Woof! How are you, Woof? Phil, how are you doing? What is it? Your competitive eating name? Mate, it's got to be Woofer Down Wolf. That's what I'm talking about. As the years went by and the child grew to maturity, he found himself possessed of amazing physical power. Now that's a face for radio. And now, the rubber room. Triple M. A bit later on, I'm going to speak to Genevieve from the Skirt Club, which, if you don't know about that, is an exclusive club for ladies. Looking to experiment, if you know what I mean. A few people ringing about that, but we'll get to that later. Because Sir Alex is here from thebigsmoke.com.au. Let's talk about words that get flagged at work while you're on your internet. The Big Smoke investigated a recent list by Goldman Sachs highlighting the words and phrases that become flagged for scrutiny. And Alex, I was interested to find out this isn't just profanity as well. This apparently was a list of not just words but phrases. So things like, I'm an unhappy camper, or I thought you'd already completed that task. All these little things that you think are not really things that should be picked up on the spectrum of management actually are being flagged. And it has a lot to do with a big brother mentality of what are their employees doing. So it's not even just swearing or talking about what's your bank account details. Right. It's really just seemingly genuine things. But the unfortunate part of all of this is 
you can't tell the context. So if you say to someone, I'm really disappointed in you, but you're emailing your husband, and it goes crazy. to management, that's awkward. But I thought maybe because it was picking up the word camp and it was trying to find some disparaging remark there I know. Against, well, you know. But it's not that. It's not that. Yeah. My theory is it's all about mitigating the risk of getting a complaint to management. So just oh. say an employee is trying to resolve an issue. Yeah. So I'm unhappy that you did that or I'm sorry that that didn't happen for you. They're trying to pick that up before it escalates. That's what it is. But also one of the phrases was, I'll give you a cut of my commission. That Another phrase one. was yeah. one of the things that gets picked up, which I kind of understand a little bit more. What about, F- you, I'm not going to pay that. Would that be flagged? That's fine. And you know, I heard some companies, actually, if they find the word like job application, is that true? But you shouldn't be doing that in, on your work email anyway. I mean, how silly are people? Thanks you, for telling me now. Do you know what I did do once? What? And I don't want to explain why this happened. Okay. But I once Googled shirtless Vince Vaughn pictures. At work, mm-hmm. yeah. when I was a receptionist when I was 19, right. and my computer froze. Yeah. And the IT people had to come, and I had to sit there while there were shirtless photos. Of I know, I, you try to explain your way out of it. It doesn't make me look good. No, well, no, it doesn't, and everyone's judged you now. Completely. I know. And this is the thing, they all had to stand there, and I had to sit there for a good 20 minutes while they tried to work it out. Thebigsmoke.com.au, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Gazzo, I believe this year we could have a new Soundgarden album. Yeah, so they're in the studio at the moment. That's according to Chris Cornell, and it's going to be the first we've heard from them since King Animal. That's, That's right. like four years or something. Exactly. Yeah. I had yeah. a chat with him when he was out here about that new Soundgarden album. Mm-hmm. What did you say? We started writing in before uh, my record even came out. Oh. We were already working on songs. So the, we started doing that a while ago. We've all been kind of doing different things. But we'll get back to it. We don't really have a schedule. Yeah. <laughs> sort of Soundgarden's method is to not really have one. Chris Cornell there. Who do you like more? Chris Cornell, Simon from Biffy Clyro, or the lead singer of Slipknot? <laughs> Well, can I just say, I really love Chris Cornell. I think yeah. he's fabulous. Yeah. Great to interview. Look at that body of work. Corey Taylor, because he's intelligent, but yeah. I love Chris Cornell as an artist. Hi, this is Chris Cornell in the rubber room with Ugly Phil on Triple M. I got Genevieve on the phone from the UK, from the Skirt Club. How are you? Hello there. How are you doing? The first <laughs> rule of Skirt Club is no men, so I appreciate you giving me a little bit of an insight into somewhere they're never going to let me through the door. <laughs> I'm afraid not, and you wouldn't be the first one to ask. Not even if you were in drag, I'm afraid. No men, and that's a very strict rule. Simply because women, I feel, um, can't be their true selves with men around. They often feel pressured or the need to please or, or behave in a certain way. And I wanted to get rid of all of that and to allow women the freedom to be themselves. All-inclusive, all-female sex club for bisexual and bi-curious women, which if you are curious but you don't know how to pursue it, or what the next step would be. I guess for a lot of women, they may be put off by the idea of going to a gay club because they wouldn't know what they're going to expect when they get there. Correct. And also, our members don't identify as gay. They might not even identify as bisexual. They may consider themselves to be straight. They would just like to have this experience in their life once. So we don't really do labels. And I think that's a great way to call this a night of curiosity and exploration. So you say a chance to (laughs) explore the sexual curiosities. Or maybe just experimenting. Pursuing, experimenting just having fun, uh, living your life to the full. These are all activities we should enjoy. This is not a crusade or mission to discover, you know, if you're bisexual. I don't think we need to call ourselves anything. I think just being a woman and enjoying your sexuality is a great thing to do. And you have different kinds of clubs as well, or I guess different levels. The first level being the Skirt Club Mini Skirt, which is try it on for size kind of social event, right? (laughs) 
Um, we, got, we like to call it the shorter, tighter version of our signature party. Right. So if you're not entirely sure you want to dive in the deep end, uh, no pun intended, then you should probably come to this cocktail soiree and meet the other members who, you know, for women, engaging in good conversation is already something that's registered on my sexual radar. So dressing up for a woman, talking with her, engaging, flirting, all these things are um, quite exciting in themselves. Sure, I'll get you to hang on there a second, Genevieve, and we'll talk more about the skirt club here in the Rubber Room. You're listening to the Rubber Room podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at the Rubber Room AU. NASA are probing Jupiter with their probe called Juno. Oh, Juno rocks. However, I'm surprised this didn't make more news. Leaked recording was found on the probe in Mars of an alien responding to messages sent by NASA into space. Apparently this could be the genuine recording of an alien replying to NASA from 2012 because we send signals up there all the time. In fact, we actually send the rubber room into space as well to show that there is, in fact, intelligent life on Earth. I don't know if you knew that. I didn't know that. It's probably yeah. not the show to send if you want to no, go with intelligence. That's a good point. I should have probably left that bit out. But anyway, so uh, I can play you a bit of this. Unfortunately for you, Sammy X, I can actually speak a bit of alien, so there won't be any particular drama involved in the actual alien thing. Where did you learn to speak alien? TAFE. (laughs) 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 All right, here it is. The voice of an alien, leaked recording, allegedly found on the probe in Mars. And I know you're going, oh, this is another one of your stupid things that you do, Ugly Phil. Like when you call a hardware store and ask if Barb Dwyer works there. No, man. This is legit. This is the real thing. I stake Sammy X's reputation on this. Hang on. <laughs> you ready for it? Yeah, All right, okay, on, so here is first bit of message from outer space. And this is, it goes, I'm going to have to tell you what it is because it's a bit hard to hear, right? It goes, hello, I am Sheevan. I received your message. Here we go. Hello, I am Sheevan. I received your message. I come from a world far away from yours. You are not alone. I hope you are able to understand my message. I can, obviously. I'm trying to learn your language. Your world is so beautiful. I lost my planet. You are my first contact. Ugly Phil. We never mentioned the Ugly Phil bit. I'd like to meet you. I come in peace. Hmm? Hey? He seems like a really friendly, nice alien. I, I don't know like about that. Friend. No, I don't know. You know what that sounds to me a bit like? What? It's like the intergalactic Tinder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Still, anyway. I'd probably swipe right or whatever it is. I mean, you've always had a thing for guys with six eyes, though. Yeah, I have. You're right. I got Genevieve on the phone from the Skirt Club in the UK. So it's all about, you know, women being able to go to the Skirt Club and perhaps meeting other women, perhaps 
sampling the forbidden fruit. Although it's not just about that, you've got speakers as well. Because women are very thirsty for knowledge. They like to learn. They like to improve themselves. We love to have speakers purely to learn new skills and see things from a different perspective. We have too much inside our own lives sometimes and we've got a lot to share with one another. We always have speakers at the mini skirt events and at the signature parties. Right, which is the next level up. Is that this is the more risque of the two? Yeah, it's effectively a play party. But with a twist, of course, because it's champagne reception. We have the, uh, a burlesque performer or something of some sophisticated nature and elegance. Are you surprised by the amount of people that have wanted to get involved in this? For example, you have a membership of about 5,000, mostly based in the UK. Did that come as a surprise? It did. I started this venture purely for my own pleasure, sure. <laughs> of course. And it was meant to be just a bit of fun, a bit of passion project um, gone wild. And it took off. I had no idea how many other women in the world felt the way I did. And it's been such an eye-opener. And what kind of feedback do you get from people from the first-timers? People really want to reach out and thank us for being brave enough to do it. Women want to know that they're going to go somewhere that well, there's a certain standard of quality, it's in the right environment, and that we have their best interests at heart first. The safety aspect and the privacy is hugely important for them. You know, a lot of women would go to gay clubs because it was a place where they could go and dance without being hassled by men. Oh, that's exactly what I do on a Friday night. I love gay bars. I make the best of friends and they play the best music. If you ever need a male ambassador just merely to come in and... <laughs> well, it depends. You know, if you're going to wear a skirt um, with a logo on it, then maybe, maybe you can. <laughs> Won't be the bloody <laughs> first time. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Have a lovely evening. You're listening to The Rubber Room Podcast. You can listen to us weeknights, 7 to 10 p.m. on Triple M. Mr. Inappropriate, could you please introduce the kills? Yeah, sure. I've had a few kills in my time. 20 in one weekend once. Sure, they were only snails. <laughs> Whatever. Here's Alison from The Kills in The Rubber Room. In The Rubber Room, it's all about thrills and spills. But there comes a time to get serious. So here comes Alison from The Kills. From The Kills. From The Kills. From The Kills. Alison from The Kills. Hi there. Hey, Alison, how are you? I'm good, thanks. This being the fifth album, and I know that you like to make every album sound different to the previous one, what was the intention going into the studio with this one? What was it, you know, primarily you wanted to achieve? Well, it's been five years, you know, you, you start to reach that point every time you're touring, and these days it seems that you tour a record for two years, three years. You know, you can just keep going and shows just keep appearing and it's easy to tour forever. And there comes a time on tour where I wouldn't say bored of the songs you're playing, but ready to infuse a set with some new stuff and some different energy and a different feeling. It took us a little bit longer to do this record for a number of reasons. I think each song was kind of approached differently. I mean, Jamie, he was able to spend so much time doing much more kind of producer sort of thing. I noticed with some of the tracks on the album, especially with Doing It to Death and Let It Drop as well, there's quite a sparsity there. But there's things that aren't like they were before, like we've used a lot of frequencies and things that we never used. And there is a lot of stuff sort of embedded in tracks that we wouldn't have thought of doing before. But there's a different feel. I mean, we've never used sub-bass on anything. That was new. Yeah. The fact that you can just kind of feel something that you're not even hearing is pretty extraordinary. Well, I thought vocally you've really stepped up a, a notch as well from previous albums, and I mean that by way of a compliment as well. I don't know why, if it's got my, my voice has gotten better or it's changed or what it is, but I think... When, I mean, I've been singing and touring in bands for like 23 years, so yeah. I think it's bound to 
I hope, grow, and I hope I'm getting better all the time, you know. And would it be fair to say that you've got some blues and gospel influences on this album as well? Totally. How's the painting going, incidentally? Well, the painting's just fine. Uh, it's very, you know, I, I, I do paint on the road, but it's been a little bit, I'd say, hectic this first few months of touring uh, because I'm doing press all day. Yeah, sure. It's not really been that kind of um, environment too much where I've been able to wake up and think about painting when my New York show is happening. The most amazing moment where I just felt all of a sudden it was real, I couldn't believe it. It was when I walked into the gallery the day they were hanging and saw everything up for the first time, framed and hanging in air, nobody in the room, just me staring at everything and it was it was a really overwhelmingly awesome feeling. Thank you so much for your time mate, really appreciate it and we'll see you when you get to Australia, Alison. Thank you so much. See the Kills, Forum Theatre Melbourne, Saturday July 23. That's uh, 18 plus. And the Inmore Theatre, Tuesday, July 26th. That's an all-ages show. And this new album by The Kills, Ash and Ice, it's brilliant too. Make sure you download it and have a listen to it. All right, let's go to Nova Scotia, Halifax, Nova Scotia, in Canada, where there is a bar called The Timber Lodge. They don't throw darts. They throw axes. I'm a lumberjack and I'm okay. I sleep all night. I work all day. How are you, Darren? I'm doing good, man. It's kind of wondering if you had a lot of lumberjacks there because that was the reason why at the Timber Lounge you don't have darts, you throw axes. That is it, man. That is what we do, yes. Of course, uh, axe throwing is not a dangerous sport. It's actually the safest lumberjack sport there is. We have in our places a lot of safety measures in place. It's not just anywhere. It's not like you say, oh, excuse me, ma'am, can you move or throw an axe in here? It's done in a very contained spot and you're under supervision of qualified instructors the whole time through. We don't just give you a beer and an axe and say, off you go, have a good night. Well, Lumberjack Sports is something that's been through the generations uh, wherever there's timber all around the world. Axe throwing is the easiest of all Lumberjack Sports. It's something anybody can do right away. So what are they throwing at? Is it a target? A lump of wood? Yeah, that's what it is. It's basically like an archery target, what we throw at. Of course, you're going for the bullseye in the middle. It's about a three-inch round ring that you throw at. We're throwing at tree stumps. They would be um, eastern white pine. They're probably about 26 to 28 inches in diameter. Do you have a drink limit on people before they throw the axe? <laughs> well, yeah, we had some kiwis in there tonight, and they oh, were dear. throwing axe with us. A few of them seemed like they had a few too many. Like, I was actually quite surprised. I thought they'd be good for the whole night, but uh, <laughs> they weren't too drunk to throw axes, but uh, their accuracy was actually going downhill as opposed to improving. you got these people that play that bring their own pool cues with them. Do you ever have anybody that turns yeah. up with their own axe? Yeah, well, we do. You know, there's people in the sport that like to come by and hang out. I mean, wood chopping's a big sport here in Canada, almost as big as in Australia. Respect to all the boys from the New South Wales Axeman Club and the Queensland Axeman Club. They take the sport quite seriously, so we uh, invite the pros to come in. But, like, I have the best axes in the world, they tell me. I hope nobody misheard that. You didn't say you had the best asses in the world. <laughs> That's, wow, hey. I want to come by, and I'll do that when I'm next up in town. You know, I want to ask you a question. You will be pining, because if you want to go with uh, wood pines, you'll be barking up the wrong tree, buddy. There it is. Hey, man, great to talk to you. A big shout-out to my uh, Australian woodchopping buddies down there. Nice to talk to you. Thanks, Darren. Was it just me, or did he sound drunk?
found this interesting. Uh, people apparently were doodling penises on their ballot papers over the weekend. And according to a doctor at the university in Melbourne, this has been happening for years, and he says it's mostly men that draw them. Oh, really? Who would have believed that? Although the men that do fall into two categories, they're either having a joke or they're being subversive. Usually it's people who aren't interested in politics. I want to have a bit of fun, but other people want to give a bit of an FU to the government, and they take that to the literal sense by drawing the todger on the ballot paper. And in the last election we just had, one polling booth received a 40-centimetre-long penis, which was rather detailed. So you know where I'm going to go with this. And you know that Sammy X, producer extraordinaire, has said to me that you can only do one of these a week. So when you get to this particular category, make sure that you're very selective. Oh, I've been selective. Yes, sirree, Bob. What's the punchline? And I know when we go to What's the Punchline and I open up the phones on 13353, if it has anything to do with penises, I know it's going to be absolutely huge. So, you ready for this? Here's, I've got two. Uh, drawing penises on polling forms. I did that. I voted for Malcolm Turnbulls. Ah, genius. i got another one. Hang on. I gave Bill a shorten. That's good. How come you get two? Have you got one? I've got one. Yeah, go on. It is a well-hung parliament. Oh, gee, that's clever as well. I like it. One, triple, three, five, three. So there it is. Drawing penises on polling forms. What have you got? What's the Get ready for the avalanche. Chris, how are you? Yeah, not bad. Yourself? Thank you for being the first cab off the rank. Drawing penises on polling forms. What have you got? Yeah, I've heard we've got a bit of stiff competition this year. There it is. I guess we were hard up for a leader. That's it. <laughs> Hello, Andrew. Hey, Phil. How you doing, mate? What is it? If you draw a large penis on the ballot paper, is that considered a donkey dick vote? <laughs> Michael, how are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. Very well indeed. I can't wait to hear it. I don't think the whole voting process has been one cock-up. I'll vote for that. <laughs> Hello, Craig. How are you, Phil? What do you got? I heard on the news that it was a well-hung province. Well hung, Parliament, but apparently up to scratch. You're welcome. Hello, Tony, what is it? Well, I just thought that everyone must vote, so um, everyone has to turn up at their local erection commission. <laughs> Too clever. Yeah, it's a tough one, that one. I voted in the blue-veined ribbon electorate. All right, one more. What's the punchline for people drawing penises on polling forms? Ronnie, how are you? Mate, they got in by the skin of their teeth, and uh, that's about the long and skinny of it. How do you circumcise a whale? I don't know. With four skin divers. Ooh. I'll go now. So we're on the Twitter, at The Rubber Room AU, and we're on Facebook as well, at MMM Rubber Room, where you can download the latest Rubber Room podcast, which, according to Pauline Hansen, was downloaded by 98% of Australians yesterday. So you want to be part of that. I mean, you don't want to miss out on that business. Cameron McPhee got on The Rubber Room Facebook page and just said a moment ago, Mr. Inappropriate is sounding different tonight. Hmm. In a conspiratorial fashion. Dude, trust me, I'm the king of conspiracy. There's nothing conspiratorial or different about Mr. Inappropriate tonight. But as you know, I love conspiracy so much, and Sammy X will tell you this, that I'm actually trying to plan my holidays around going to Area 51 in California. <laughs> Just so that I can, you know, speak to some people who may have seen a UFO. Right? That's a holiday for you, isn't it? My boss, Jamie Angel hates the fact that I'm into conspiracy theories because he's a lateral thinker. I mean, he doesn't have time for this stupidity, right? And he's like, ah. Oh. I go in there and I go, no, but I'm telling you, this conspiracy theory. No, he just, you know, so it's pointless talking to anyone around the office about that. But anyway, I'll tell you something. 
if there's ever been a conspiracy about bad songs, I found their leader. You ready for the bad song of the week, Sammy X? Yes, please. Okay, this is I'm the Best, as in I'm the Best. I'm the Best by GMC Faux Show. Are you ready for a, a treat here? Yeah, hit me with it. No, sure. I'm the best. I'm the best. I'm the best. I'm the best. Standing on a car, finger up in the air. With some women's with my fingers in their head. Yes, I be the one that went street fighter tournaments. Make a million dollars without even earning it. I got the highest score in the world on my SAT. And then I went to Everest to learn how to slay them trees. I don't have to count to know I'm worth a billion. Hang on, I gotta stop there for a second. Did he just sing? And then I went to Everest to learn how to slam them trees. What the hell does that even mean? You know what, bigger number. I am worth a gillion. I'm the best at watching 1990s videos. Power Rangers, all that Keenan kill, all here we go. I'm the best at making beats, that's right, my voice to track. And my swag is off the charts. That's a fact. I'm the best. <laughs> I'm the best. I don't mind I'm it. The no, that, and you know what? That doesn't surprise me because you do have this penchant for liking really bad stuff. Yeah, but I like, like, I can see what he's trying to do with it, and what? He's, he's really into like Keenan and Kel and '90s TV, and that I'm cool with that. Ah, right, nice derivative f- form there. Yeah, I mean, what I don't understand is, you know, like, could Charlotte can get a record deal and he can't? What's up? This is Mark Hobbs from Liquid 82, and you are listening to The Rubber Room with Ugly Phil, and it's probably f***ing terrible. I've had people pull up next to me in a car before I want to sell me speakers. I've had people pull up next to me in a van wanting to sell me meat in the middle of the day. But never in my life have I had someone in the middle of the day pull up to me in the middle of a suburban street and go, I might, do you want to buy some sex toys? <laughs> really? What do you got? So this guy's pulled out a suitcase full of toys. And I said, do you mind if I tape this conversation on my phone? He said, go right ahead, buddy. So here it is. And I picked up some bizarre thing with, I don't know, straps and coils on it and stuff. I wanted to know about that. Is this a popular model? Yeah, quite a few girls buy them, actually, yeah. Girls buy them? Yeah, yeah girls come up. Sometimes boyfriends buy for the girls or the husbands, sure. frustrated lovers. So what's the most popular selling item that you've got here, though? In the private collection, they're quite popular. Pleasure, pirate. Prestige, like then, then my all begin with P, funnily yeah, enough. Yeah, yeah, they're pretty popular. Is that shampoo or something? Yeah, lubricants, oh. um, wet stuff. We've wet got stuff. massage oils. Okay. Uh, what else we got? Uh, Key rings, the pocket rocket, the mini massager. Everything you can think of, we've got it here. Everything. What's this blow-up thing here? Surely that's is that a pillow or something? It's a penis. Like you can lie on and do what you like with it. What else you got? You got underwear here. You've lingerie, got everything. Lingerie. The works. Anything you like. Everything you like. <laughs> Oh, man. I like the answer to that. What's that, champ? Oh, it's wet stuff. <laughs> right, okay. Where are you driving? No, I was walking along the road in the middle of the town, in the in the suburbs. Anyway, here's my question to you, Sammy, because I'm going to open up the phone on this as well on 13353. I couldn't believe it. I was talking to somebody, and they said I'd never seen, they'd never seen the movie The Wall. I said, have you never seen the movie The Wall? You're kidding me. What's wrong with you? And they said, surely there must be movies that you've never seen, Phil. And I said, well, that is true. I've never seen E.T., what? Are you serious? Yeah, I've never seen an episode of The Simpsons. 
Where have you been? Obviously on the wrong streets buying sexual aids from briefcases. How can you have not seen those? So I thought I'd open up the phone on this on 13353 because there's people that have never done things that you think that they would normally and ordinarily do as part of their life. For example, you... Well, mine's a bit more sort of normal. Like, I've never been in a limousine. How can you say that's normal? You've never been in a limousine. How can you say that not seeing ET is normal? Well, let's open up the phone on this one. One triple three five three. And surprises, what have you never done? Like, never watched an episode of Friends? I spoke to somebody that didn't do that around the office today. I shook their hand. Mick, how are you? Hi, I'm good, Phil. I'm loving your work, mate. Thank loving you. Want to know what you've never done? Never said sorry. Get the <laughs> f*** out of here. <laughs> Mick? Yeah, Blake? What have you never done? Never seen Neighbours, never seen Home and Away, and I've never seen Friends. Get the f*** out of here. And yeah, I'm 48 and I live with a bloke who recorded every episode of Neighbours if you couldn't watch half a minute. <laughs> Mark, how are you? What have you never done? I've never watched Game of Thrones or Gogglebox. Get the <laughs> f*** out of here. <laughs> Blake, what have you never done? I've never watched an episode of Game of Thrones. Get the f*** out of here. Never seen it. Alan, this is a great one. Tell everybody. Never been on a plane. Get the f*** out of here. 52 and I won't be up there at all. Don't blame you just quietly. Freaks me out too. Even lifts. That's it. If we were meant to fly, we'd have wings instead of feet. What is it, James? I've never watched a game of, sorry, an episode of Game of Thrones. Get the f*** out of here. No. Brad, what is it? I've never watched a Star Wars movie. Get the f*** out of here. Nah, don't like that sci-fi shit. Jim, what is it? Yeah, well, I'm nearly 64 in October I will be, and I've never been overseas. Get the f*** out of here. Yeah, well, we're rectifying it in October. We're going over to CG, my wife and I, for our 40th anniversary. Oh, brilliant. She'll be so happy. Yeah. Finally, she doesn't just yeah. have to go down the corner shop. And we'll also be over there for my 64th birthday as well. Fantastic. Well, make sure you bring me back a fridge magnet. My good mate Larry from the gym was telling me he's never actually seen the movie Saturday Night Fever. You're kidding me. One of the greats. Never seen E.T. either. Still people calling through. Luke, what is it, man? Mate, I've never seen The Sound of Music or Mary Poppins. And I've never danced to the devil underneath the pale moonlight. Get the f*** out of here. Thanks, mate. And one more, because this is a special one. Zoltan, what have you never done before? Rang a radio station. Get the f*** out of here. No. Now you have. How does it feel? Yeah. It's largely underwhelming, really, isn't it? Yeah. Not as hard as I thought. No, you know, that's the thing. You hear people calling up the radio station all the time. You think, one day I'm going to do that. And it's like, uh, you know, losing your virginity. You know, after it's happened, it's like, well, is that it? Hey, you just think you're never going to get through, so i uh, yeah. never, never tried. Well, I'm glad I'm the one that popped your cherry. In fact, I don't want to go down this route anymore. I don't even know if I'm going to say route anymore. <laughs> no worries, I guess. Wow. Thank you, everybody. Can't wait to see The Cure when they come to Australia. How long's it been? Planet Splendour in the Grass, also playing Kudos Bank Arena in Sydney on Monday, July 25. And uh, the 28th, which is a Thursday, Rod Laver Arena in Melbourne. No Brisbane shows, unfortunately, this time round, apart from Byron Bay, of course, for The Cure. I was talking to Robert Smith about working with Ross Robinson. Now, he's a guy that produced Slipknot at the Drive-In, Limp Biscuit, Glass, Jaw and Corn. I wanted to know how that collaboration came about because it resulted in a much heavier Cure album. I mean, I, I anticipated when I first got in touch with Ross, he actually made the first contact because he'd done some interviews and he was talking about bands and Slipknot as well. And, I, and then he was saying my favourite band's The Cure and I was thinking, how does this work? So I was kind of intrigued and um, when he made contact, I, I sort of followed up with it and we met up. 
up and uh, I was surprised at how my preconceptions weren't right at all and he was a really sweet bloke. There was a little bit of a standoff at first because he's more used to working with very young bands, like bands that were on their first or second album kind of thing. So um, he had to defer to me a bit more than I think he was used to in the studio. But yeah, I think he thought I was probably funnier than, than he imagined. But you said you had these uh, preconceived ideas of maybe doing a conceptual album. What did you mean by that? Well, I, I had it in my mind. I mean, the demos that we were doing for the album were... I was chucking away all the sort of the mel really melodic stuff and all the up upbeat stuff. And I was only keeping, you know, every kind of third song that was very morose and very sort of gloomy and down and heavy. And when I played Russ and he's saying, what else have you got? And, and I started playing some of the other demos. And he's going, no, no, that's the stuff, that's the stuff. And he wanted it to represent everything The Cure does. So he wanted heavy songs on there but he also wanted them kind of like you know set into relief by some of the pop stuff that we do you've seen a few bands in you know the couple of decades that you've been around who would have i guess you know emulated your career or stylized themselves on you i think that there's a there's a, you kind of trade one thing in for another i mean it would be pretty stupid i think if we um the ages that our bands out that we were kind of like running around on stage you know and, and leaping in the air but yeah you trade that in for like experience and how to play i mean our lineups been together there's kind of something going on on stage you know so we don't need to run around as much as we have there's been this resurgence of interest in the cure and i've noticed at least a two tv uh, commercials with your music behind it I and mean, how do you feel about that well i resisted our music being used for adults for um, more than 20 years but i had to get a less universal polydor universal and in order to get a box set of b-sides released which is called join the dots which is like with everything that the cure had ever done on b-side and obviously those outtakes and weird stuff filmed in that they insisted that I give them an advert each. That, again, that was a trade-off. So I was just being a practice I think it sucks, basically. I hate how many being used for advert. There you go. Robert Smith from The Cure. See The Cure in Australia next month. You're listening to The Rubber Room Podcast. You can listen to us weeknights, 7 to 10 p.m. on Triple M. Let's talk statistics. Pauline Hanson with one of her first comments as a newly elected politician last weekend. And I will take you out for a halal snack pack out in the western suburbs of Sydney. <laughs> Not happening. Not interested in halal. Thank you. Not interested in it. I don't believe in halal certification. 98% of Australians don't want halal certification. And what a wonderful voice she has too. I think we've got a fantastic alarm clock. You get up! Get up! Best alarm clock ever. But anyway, 98% of Australians don't believe in that halal classification. Why? Because she said it's true. And if you hear a statistic on the radio or you read it in the paper or on TV, you think it must be true, right? Take Jim Jeffries, for example. I was talking to him about this. You know, he did a sort of anti-gun message which got reenacted, gets on the YouTube every time there's a massacre. He told me he made up one of the statistics. I recorded that return about a year and a half ago. Did nothing for about a year. And then six months ago, it blew up. And it was on news shows over here. It was on played to law students in Yale. Very interesting because, you know, some of the statistics I made up, you're 80% more likely to be shot by a gun have one. I just said that. It's a good statistic. Uh, yeah. So here I'm going to go open up the phone on one triple three five three. See if you stay, uh, say a statistic and I put it on the radio, therefore it must be true, right? For example, Sammy X, did you know that 57% of Australians don't own a kettle? Wow, that's yeah. incredible. Yeah, 50, 57%. That's a lot. Yeah, I know. Did you know that 12% of all accidents worldwide are caused by somebody whose name is Simon? Oh, pesky Simon. Yeah, I know you wouldn't believe it, but therefore you heard it, so it must be SVG. true. Yeah, 
Want to make a statistic up that can become part of folklore? Sure, you can do that. 72% of Australians already have. One triple three five three. what do you got? How are you, Leo? I'm very well myself. What can you tell me? I found out through my some of the studies I did over the weekend. Yeah? That 100% of the people that voted for Pauline Hanson are idiots. You'll find this interesting, that 100% of all Leo Sayer's songs were sung by Leo Sayer. Oh, really? That's phenomenal. We should write a paper about it. Hello, John. G'day, Phil. How are you, mate? I can't wait to find out what you're going to tell me. Mate, 99.9% of statistics are complete made-up rubbish. Wow, but then again, there's a 0.2% margin of error. There is that. Hello, Brent. I can tell you that only 23% that listen to you actually like you. That's actually 22% more than I thought. <laughs> Hello, Dougie. G'day, Phil. Did you know that 100% of people who drink water die? But Al McPherson said we had to drink eight glasses a day. Yeah, well, you should be listening to Tim Noakes instead. He's a professor at uh, the South African Institute of Sport. He knows what it's all about. He, he's got the right idea. That'll teach me to listen to Al McPherson. Yes. <laughs> hey, Richard. Hey, Phil, how you going? Did you know 100% of all men who are Richard are also dick? Yeah, I'm a real dick. What have you got? 98% of statistics are made up. And the other two people were lying? Of course they are. Hello, Dave. 80. 5% of your Twitter followers will look at your naked picture tomorrow morning. Did you know that 1% of all people called Dave from Panania no longer live in Panania? That's exactly right. Where are you now? <laughs> I'm at Milpera. That's all right, I'll talk slowly. <laughs> hey, Matt from Mount Annan. My statistic is that 76% of WRX drivers are wankers. Did you know that 100% of men from Mount Annan are mountain men who love mountain women? Well, it's quite possible. Well, there you go. Statistics that you can't argue with because they're on the radio. Hey, um, apparently a lot of things are growing on me because I'm disgusting and apparently repulsive to women, especially my girlfriend, I found out the other night when I was sitting there having dinner next to Mrs. Ugly and she goes, oh, that, you're disgusting. And I said, what? What am I doing? She said, that noise you make with your mouth while you're eating, that just disgusts me. And I went, what? What, that? Does that sound bad? You're a woman, Sammy. It doesn't sound that nice, no. Really? Yeah. And then she said, she had the audacity to say last night, I might give you a bit of action this weekend. And I was like, hey, really? Is it my birthday? No, it's not. And she said, I'll have sex with you this weekend, but only if you tidy yourself up and make a bit of an effort. So can you brush your teeth and maybe put on some aftershave? And I'm looking at her thinking, well, maybe, you know, I'll have sex with you this weekend if you can come to bed looking like a Victoria's Secret model with the wings on and shit. Did you say that no, to I her? No, I never said that because it's a promise of sex, so I didn't, you know. Yeah, don't no, say that no, to her. No, exactly. But, you know, in, in retrospect, perhaps I am a disgusting human being, but maybe I needed somebody to point that out to me because that's love when somebody points out your disgusting features. Did I ever tell you about the time that I was in the studio and my stomach was rumbling, so I recorded it and magnified it by 50%? <laughs> yeah, like 500 times. Would you like to hear it? So this okay. is my stomach in the studio, magnified 500 times. <laughs> what had you been eating? I don't know, but that's pretty cool. Hey, do you want to hear it again? Of course you do. Okay. Cool don't play that to Mrs. Ugly because I don't think she'll be up for it. At really? The no, you're probably not this weekend. Not when I'm brushing my teeth and having a <laughs> shave. Hello, everyone. This is David Eric Grohl from the Foo Fighters. You're listening to Ugly Phil. Don't forget it. Believe me, he's pretty gross. Triple M, the rubber room.
Hey, I'll tell you what I found that I'm really excited about. You know the song Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go by Wham? Well, there's only a metal version. Come on, let's have it. Wake me up before you go. Yeah, that's fantastic. I love it. So here's how the day went. I read somewhere on a music site that the new Blink-182 album, California, has got a Japanese song as an added track on the end. The song was called Hey, I'm Sorry. So I thought, well, this is great because, you know, I love it when there are Japanese versions of songs. I can play it on the air and I can get a great laugh out of it. I mean, who can forget the Japanese Sex Pistols, right? That's fantastic. That didn't happen because I misread it. There's an extra song on the Japanese version of California. So it turns out it wasn't Japanese. So I said to Sammy X, okay, let's grab the microphone and go down to, uh, you know, like somewhere around town where we can find a Japanese person and I'll give them the lyrics of the new Blink-182 song, Hey, I'm Sorry, and we'll get them translating it and then I'll record them and we'll put it over the top. All that, in theory, looked fantastic for about an hour after we went into sushi shops and uh, Japanese uh, watch shops and karaoke bars. How many did we go into in the end? Oh, I lost track, but I feel like we did speak to quite a few Japanese people. Yes. I think everybody was a bit busy. Yeah, too busy to translate the new Blink-182 song from English into Japanese and then sing it for you on your microphone it's so you can take it ass, back. You know, really. That's all I wanted! Until eventually we found someone. So um, it gives me great pleasure to give you the new Blink-182 single in Japanese. Mizunoshitanifkaiwatashiosamasubetenoanatanomusumetachiwakareo Yep. Yeah, that, that's it. Hey, I'm sorry, I lost your memory. Now, in hindsight, which is a wonderful thing, I'm not really sure whether those three hours were worth it. <laughs> Nothing will explain why cats are attacking people and holding them hostage in America. It's going to sound like a strange question, but we have a cat and it's going crazy and it's attacked my husband and we're kind of hostage in our house and we're just wondering who we can call to do something, get rid of the cat or help us. Right, so you hear that. That's somebody calling the 911 emergency number in America. You hear that and you think, oh, wow, that... It's probably unfortunate, but an isolated incident. <laughs> no siree, Bob. Um, I think someone just called my house about um, my crazy cat. A four-year-old Russian blue named Kush trapping its owners in their Florida home this past weekend. I can't get out. She's got us trapped in her bedroom. She's never been like this. I don't know what's happened to her. Teresa Gregory, cornered with her husband James, speculates the cat's fury may have been unleashed when Gregory stepped on Kush in the dark by mistake. I mean, my husband, I, we're ripped up. I mean, he ripped us, blood. She ripped us up. She's 
sitting right there. There's no way to get out. We just need her out of our house. We don't know what to do. And Kush is the second ferocious feline call this year. In March, Lee Palmer's cat Lox went berserk. It has went off over the edge, and we um, aren't safe around the cat. Why? What's the reason behind these cats? Maybe they heard about the greyhound racing, and they're like, hey, don't look at us. <laughs> I ain't chasing no rabbit, man. Have you ever, this is probably going to be the strangest question you'll hear a week, but have you ever been held hostage by an animal? Because once upon a time, when I was younger, I was chased by a goose in a park, and it nipped me. And I don't know if you've ever been nipped by a goose, but its waxy beak is really hard, and it hurts. It's like when some kid pinches you at school when you're in the playground. You're oh man, really? That's exactly what it feels like when a goose attacks you. It never held me hostage, only because I outsmarted it. But I'm sure that, you know, if it had, you know, more geese there, whoa, it would have been like a dog day afternoon. So anyway, one triple three five three. A crazy question, but I know there's someone out there who's been held hostage by an animal. Sky's on the phone. I was talking about have you ever been held hostage by a pet? And it wasn't a cat, though, was it? No, it wasn't a cat, no. <laughs> you were held hostage by? By a horse. Well, I feel the need to mention it was a miniature horse. Horses for courses for me? Yeah, okay. <laughs> right, so this miniature horse... Uh, I was on my grandpa's farm and I was showing my friend around. He came over to me and started getting a bit funny. A bit loose, as we and, say in the horse whispering fraternity. Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> my friend um, screaming and then he started doing the, you know, rearing up and all that. So he ran away and he chased us up a tree. We were stuck there for like maybe an hour or so before he wandered off somewhere. <laughs> Lucky it wasn't a miniature Shetland because they can climb trees. No, they can't. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I'm making shit up as I go yeah. along. Nonetheless, <laughs> that is a story to tell people. And now you're telling us here, what happened to the horse in the end? Did someone give it a carrot? No, we ran away. We made a break for it after we wandered off for a minute and he chased us like right. all the way back to the fence line. He was actually just excited that we were kids and we were terrified. Yeah, of course, absolutely. <laughs> Did you try and distract it in any way, shape or form? Try and what? Distract it. Did you go, oh, look, there's Gay Waterhouse wants to offer you a contract <laughs> or something like that? No, no, nothing like that, no. <laughs> <laughs> Glad to have uh, entertained you tonight, I guess. And as insane as this sounds, there's another one, Matthew... Who were you trapped and held hostage by? Emus at a, um, a koala park. Of course, you can't remember because they blindfolded you and led you into their lair. So how did you end up getting trapped by these emus and did you find out what their intentions were? Yeah, I had a uh, cylinder of cool mints oh. and they attacked, they attacked me yeah. and uh, stole my cool mints. Yeah, and that's a well-known fact that if you ever want to attract an emu for a date or just a liaison, take a mint with you, and they just can't, <laughs> they can't resist it. Well, I'm glad you got oh. out safely, Matthew. Oh, well, I did. I, I jumped the fence, I left the cool mints on the ground, and oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, jumped the fence into um, a, ko a koala enclosure. Crikey. Lucky you didn't have mints there, because you should see what koalas do with that. We may find this a bit disturbing. He held me. Go! Oh. The Rubber Room.